Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Hey, Ryan, man. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks, Sledge. Happy to be here. Hey, if you don't mind, would you give two or three minute background story of uh, yourself and your work and uh, you know what you and your team are doing these days? Certainly. So... I'm a mechanical engineer turned entrepreneur. Um, don't do too much mechanical stuff these days. Our primary focus with our business is embedded systems. Um, so we started, uh, myself and two other co-founders started our company, Critical, based out of San Francisco, a couple of years back. Uh, primarily focused on deeply embedded systems in safety critical and mission critical applications. Uh, so we formed um, this platform that we call Snickerdoodle, uh, which is a reconfigurable, software reconfigurable hardware platform for kind of edge computing applications. So uh, it's the size of a business card, um, has some pretty you know meaty processor on there, uh, ARM and FPGA, for those familiar with that, um, some Wi-Fi, uh, Bluetooth, connects for connectivity, and basically created this prototype of production platform for people who are looking to go from um, developing, you know, something, developing an idea, uh, typically in the areas of audio video processing or industrial automation and robotics, um, you know, security and surveillance, kind of a wide range of applications uh, that requires a little bit more kind of computationally horsepower. Um so in taking that from kind of an idea stage to full production without having to uh, significantly change up the core hardware that you're using. So that's sort of what we've been in the process right, of right. commercializing over the last couple of years. Right on. So, I mean, where, where does a, an idea for this need kind of, you know, come from on the, on the entrepreneurial, you know, sort of set list, um, did you like personally experience or you and your founders like, Hey, you know, there's uh there's not enough uh, edge compute capacity or like where, where did it come from that this was, you know, sort of necessary before you had, you know, the product market fit type of conversation. Yeah. We had a lot of experience doing consulting work prior to this. Um, so a lot of medical devices, uh, consumer electronics, uh, industrial automation, bunch of different industries and what we found ourselves doing a lot of the time was this kind of repeated cycle of redesigning the quote unquote brain of these systems over and over again. So what we wanted to do is put together 
uh, architects a solution that would be um, relatively universally applicable to all the types of applications we are familiar with. So giving some flexibility in terms of the interfaces and devices you could connect with um, and give it enough horsepower to kind of perform these these core functions on the device itself. Um, so we that's how we ended up with the kind of form factor and technology uh, kind of technology selection that we eventually came up with. And it was really a situation where we had to solve this problem that we saw both of our both our customers and ourselves having with this kind of redundancy in, um, in design efforts between multiple applications. So that's that's kind of how the Snickerdoodle platform came to be. Right on. I get it. Yeah. So uh, just for, you know, myself being slightly noob on this, you know, I, I hear the term edge, you know, getting thrown around a lot. And, you know, clearly that comes up in like sort of your IOT type of conversations, but I, I know it's much bigger, you know, sort of process or, or machine automation, you know, all these, these things. What, what is that, that edge computing sort of revolution that, that that's happening? Cause I know that you guys are, are part of that. Maybe just put some structure around that for people that aren't familiar, maybe with the hardware realm. Cause I think the software and hardware where realms are going to really start to, you know, converge a lot more, uh, particularly with, you know, ubiquitous connectivity coming down the pipe. Well, yeah, that's, that's right. And I think, I mean, edge is kind of one of those buzz words you hear thrown around a lot recently. And it's kind of, it's just, we're kind of in a situation where there's a, virtually unlimited amount of cloud computing uh, infrastructure around. Um, and like you just mentioned, connectivity is basically ubiquitous at this point. Uh, but there's, as these kind of applications develop, what we found is a lot more of this computation um, is needing to happen at the edge level, meaning I would say edge, you know, on, you're talking about like things that are on the, what they call the network edge. So pretty much real world hardware that uh, either the user is interacting with or that is gathering data or controlling systems or whatever it might be. So say, you know, for example, you have a, uh, some hardware controller in um, an automated assembly line, or maybe you have, uh, you know, a security camera, um, that's doing, you know, real-time facial recognition, something to that effect, where you have these, you're basically being inundated with data and interfaces that there's a couple kind of issues with just pushing that off into the cloud. Um, one is the kind of real-time element of these applications. So you're not controlling, you know, a six-axis robotic arm <laughs> from the cloud. Obviously, that doesn't make any sense just in terms of, latency and performance um, and reliability in terms of your connection. You might be taking the kind of high level data that, that uh, you know, either use to usage data, um, you know, efficiency, uh, cycle time or whatever it is um, and saving that somewhere. Uh, but in terms of the real time motor control and the interconnectivity of the environment. So, you know, if you're talking between multiple uh, multiple arms in a kind of controlled environment in a, in a factory automation kind of setting, or in, even in the case of security cameras, you know, as we get uh, higher and higher um, definition cameras, uh, uh, 
you know, and, and demand for more data being gathered um, in any given urban environment, uh, it's not always necessarily practical to have all of that data just pushed out over the internet um, and stored in the cloud and processed after the fact. There's a growing demand for pre-processing and parsing of that data. So even though you might be logging, say, kind of key trends um, and things like that in uh, in a cloud storage or processing site somewhere, um, a lot of times what you want to do is uh, be able to perform some of that, say, like object recognition or facial recognition, um, kind of taking away those key data points at the edge on the, one of those edge nodes and then sending the kind of metadata, if you will, out over the network. So it severely, you know, reduces the amount of data you're having to transmit, which has a lot of costs associated with it. The cloud compute time uh, and resources you're consuming, which, you know, usually charged by the hour, by the, you know, the core and all these different kind of cloud monetization schemes, um, as well as, you know, the latency. So, you know, certain applications, latency matters more than others, of course. But that was sort of our, uh, you know, a big part of our, um, one of our key design drivers was making sure we had enough, uh, enough power, compute power at the edge uh, to be able to kind of accommodate those, uh, those restraints. Um, but at the same time, keeping in mind that because you're not in a, an unlimited, you know, space and weight and power environment a lot of the time you might have something that's battery powered or somehow some other sort of energy restrictions that um, you have to be able to do that computationally efficient efficiently as well which is kind of key to embedded hard the deeply embedded hardware in general so that's that's kind of what we're what we're referring to when we're talking about edge computing usually is there like i'm just like I'm zooming out a little bit and thinking about my own career in in computing and technology and you know it's that the, there seems to be like the pendulum that kind of swings between like you know do it all on the edge or like what used to be the client versus you know do it all on the cloud or what used to you know the server and it kind of like kind of pushes and pulls back and forth over time and you know i mean in a environment where if and when there's ever sort of ubiquitous unlimited connectivity and you know everything is fiber connected or wireless is like ridiculous fast. Like you could imagine a scenario where you don't have the edge. Is it like a, is it a space and time solution just based on like evolution that that kind of changes over time? Like, do you guys think about that? You know, that ultimately all the devices out there go back to being just dumb terminals with a big pipe attached. Yeah. I think you hit it spot on where it is sort of this, uh, oscillating environments where you kind of go back and forth between everything has to be done, you know, on the device to, well, now we have so many resources in the cloud that we can do basically none of it on the device. And then, so you, you have everything pushed the other way to such an extreme that you start seeing, you know, whether it's performance degradation or cost skyrocket. I mean, of course, None of these none of these network implementations are totally cost free, and that infrastructure is going to evolve over time. I mean, there's just you know with every new uh, you know wireless or wired communication um, 
you know, kind of communication standard that come out, you know, now the next big thing is 5G. I mean, as you can imagine, there'll, there'll never be a point at which that is, everyone's just done with that. Like, it's just going to be as good as it'll get. Um, you know, and there's there's always going to be a physical limitation just in terms of the, I mean, if everything, even with data or, you know, and information moving at the speed of light, that you know, isn't necessarily fast enough if you still have to travel, you know, a third or half the way around the world to get the data to and from where you're sending it to. So I think it's, there's always going to be a physical limitation with that. Um, And, you know, performance and, you know, the demands of any given application shift, you know, with the technology as well. Um, So that's, you know, obviously always contributes to this kind of push and pull of, you know, cost and size and affordability and, uh, and infrastructure and, you know, all these different things where the practicalities shift around depending on kind of which way those scales are kind of tipping at the time. So I think it's, it is this kind of constant tug of war, like you said, and what we've seen, you know, in the last few years is things swinging back in the edge direction. I'm sure that'll happen for a while and then things will kind of push more towards the cloud and kind of back and forth. So I think it's, there's, you know, there's never going to be a shortage of, of, uh, you know, applications, I mean, you know, you think about mobile phones, even, you know, I mean, those are edge computing devices kind of by definition, and there'll never be a situation where anyone's going to have the patience to have all the compute power that they would normally have in their pockets completely pushed off onto, onto, onto the cloud, even though right now a lot of that stuff is happening in the cloud, um, like, you know, whether it's voice, voice recognition and stuff like that. Um, the, the definitely the trend is going towards, of course, putting more and more of that kind of horsepower in your hand versus in, you know, in a server farm somewhere. Right. Yeah. And I always want to ask for like the weather or something when the, the phone happens to hit a dead spot. So <laughs> right. yeah, totally. And that, that would not work when you're powering like a, I don't know, a two ton, you know, machine or something that's putting, you know, important equipment together. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Network reliability. We can't tell you that right now. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, you know, you get quality service stuff with when you're talking about, you know, cellular carriers and stuff like that. But yeah, even just wireless connectivity. I mean, you know, there's a, yeah, people have probably just in the course of a day experienced enough frustrations just with, uh, with basic, you know, connectivity with very, you know, kind of limited performance to know that, like you just said, it's, if you have a situation where you have a device that, you know, your life is depending on, uh, that, yeah, you don't necessarily want that just suddenly going offline with no recourse. (laughs) So, Right, right. It's like our, you know, it's like the new version of the busy signal, you know, I'm <laughs> sorry, there's, there's no operators right now. That's right. Um, yeah, we'll call you back. Your call is really important to us. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, cool. You know, so shift gears for me, you know, like being an entrepreneur, growing a company, uh, you know, it's just, you start, you know, I think in that sort of two, you know, two partners, two engineers in a, in a basement or garage or what have you, you know, and then, you know, you got to grow a company around it and, and start to think about people and culture and, and splitting work up. And, you know, I don't know. I'm just curious how that I have a pretty good handle from a lot of guests on how that shakes out in a in a software engineering environment. But uh, how have you seen growing a team, you know, in, in the hardware world? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, I mean, you know, the 
Harbert's hard uh, expression doesn't uh, wasn't <laughs> out of thin air. Um, I think you know one one thing that we kind of admittedly uh, underestimated, um, even though being fully aware of it, uh, underestimated the ability to overcome uh, capital constraints and the lead times that come with um, scaling a hardware venture. Uh, you kind of do get a, a pretty uh, hard understanding of how much of this stuff is really out of your control. Um, I mean, there's only so much handshaking you can really do when, you know, five of your key vendors are running, you know, six weeks behind their delivery schedule. Uh, there's, unless you're f fully vertically integrated, and even in that case, there's always going to be kind of a clog in the supply chain you have to deal with. So, I mean, the, the obviously the hardware development cycle times um, are, are a challenge, but in the grand scheme of things, those those end up being pretty minor challenges when compared with uh, the the whole process um, and timeline of you know inventory and supply chain management and you know managing both your you know upstream and downstream vendors uh, and you know just all these different there's just a lot of stuff that you don't have to worry about when you're just kind of writing code. I mean, it's not, to, of, of course, software is incredibly hard. And, and when you, when it comes down to it, when you're, when you're talking about de like delivering a finished product to market, um, a lot of the delays you come across are software delays because getting the hardware to work with the software, you know, as you originally intended is no, uh, you know, not someone to brush off by any means. Well, but, sure. Yeah. I mean, look at, you know, Agile, you know, all comes out of like, you know, automotive manufacturing, right? You know, yeah. I mean, it's like wait time and, and, you know, waste in the supply chain and those are all this stuff. So, I mean, it, it very clearly derives to the same equation, you know, over, over time when you're just looking at, you know, well, what screws up the process of delivery and why is the last mile always the last 10 miles? Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. You, you there's a lot of things you don't necessarily think about when it comes to uh, like capital constraints. When you know you might you might perform all the all the cost analysis you can when it comes to you know what you're going to cost with what's going to cost uh, what's going to cost to build say unit number one versus unit number a thousand. But then you know even considering with your the material impact on your affected margin when you have when you're just forced to buy more parts than you need i mean there's just going to be minimum order quantities on things that you don't necessarily aren't really part of your bomb cost um but you know when it comes down to when you're on a startup budget you know it, you know in other words having no money um those these little you know we have to order we have to build 500 units we have to order 10,000 capacitors well you know, each one of those capacitors might cost a fraction of a penny, but when you have 50 capacitors, uh, you know, 50 different line items of capacitors and you have to, you know, source each individual one of those. And then, you know, we had an experience kind of recently where um, one of our major manufacturers, who was basically the world's biggest uh, ceramic capacitor supplier, um, just end of life, you know, 90% of the parts we were using. 
uh, we all had, to, all had a sudden had to scramble to find that. And then you worry about global supply chains. You know, we had a crazy issue with getting RAM last year um, where the prices just skyrocket. Now there's like, of course, you know, all these class action lawsuits and antitrust cases going through. I mean, it's just, it's just totally crazy. And there's just, just so much stuff in there that you would never, uh, you never really think about like different, you know, holidays at different times of year around, you know, whether it's in China or Europe um, that it just can put your project on hold for a month or two while you're still burning through cash the whole time. So it's, it's uh yeah it's, it's <laughs> I don't know if I necessarily uh, recommend it to, to somebody who just dive right into um, unless you really have a you're really prepared for a lot of you know kind of hardship you know starting with way more money than you think you'll ever need and there's a bunch of other kind of points of advice I could probably throw out there but uh, yeah it's it's in I know, you're really you're really selling this man <laughs> like everybody's gonna run out and do this sure, now yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I get it. Man. You know, and I, I don't know. In my experience in startups is that, you know, like all the best planning, you know, sort of goes out the window, you know, right away. But at least you, at least you did the planning. You know, I think mm-hmm. the planning serves a purpose that is not to come out with the prediction of the future. It's to, you know, challenge your brain and and kind of go. Here's a list of all the things I'm going to be wrong about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not exhaustive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we, um, we uh, I mean, cool. for example, like severely being in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, you know, all you ever hear is just, you know, basically money's, money's just falling out of the sky. You know, you walk down the street to catch the bus and you'll just be hit in the face with a $2 million briefcase or whatever it is. I mean, that we severely overestimated <laughs> our, our, uh, our ability to raise capital, uh, just because we're a hardware business. Um, I mean, it's there. Yeah. Hardware is having somewhat of a renaissance in the, you know, the venture community these days, but it just isn't even a drop in the bucket in terms of you know, when compared to the amount of funding that all these software and cloud and app and whatever other kind of companies um, are out there. So it's, I mean, it's been, that's been probably the most challenging slash disheartening element of the whole thing. But you know, I mean, you just you just got to grind through it, and then you know, hope you can stay stay alive long enough to get a little bit lucky. Um, that's so we're that's what we're in the process of doing. You just have to name it after my favorite cookie, and everything will be fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I got speaking of critical, right? I've got some critical questions here. This is the lightning round. Okay, are you ready? Sure. This is really important stuff. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. All right. Now, what are you reading right now? Uh, the Coddling of the American Mind. Um, I don't know if you need me to elaborate, but it's a, it's an interesting book on uh, kind of how psychology has changed um, in terms of uh, in terms of ideas that people are presented with that don't fully uh, align with their existing beliefs, and how that's creating a bunch of conflict and this whole concept of, you know, if, if you tell me something I don't like to hear um, that I can, you know, interpret that as actually being physically harmful to me. Um, anyway, so that's, that's the current <laughs> book. Not, nothing technology related, but uh, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, that's, I don't think anybody likes to read technology things, so. <laughs> especially <laughs> afterwards. What is the, the one thing you can't live without? 
uh, my bike. Uh, ride my bike to nice. and from work every day, and I don't have a car. I live in the city, so uh, yeah, without my bike, I'd be hurting. Right on, right on. Uh, what's the last thing that you googled for work? <laughs> um, probably uh, a part number for a mechanical design I was working on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I was going to say one side. of fifty capacitors, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So I don't know if you're an office fan or the office, but you know, there's a, there's a classic episode where, where Jim is messing with Dwight and he is sending him faxes from future Dwight. And he's saying he's messing with, he's saying stuff like all oh, the coffee is poison or, you know, whatever. But um, I always like to ask people, so imagine I'm giving you one piece of paper and, you know, one of those big, thick, nasty Sharpies and your future Ryan and you get to send one page back to, you know, past Ryan, like 10 years ago. What are you going to write on that page? Oh, 10 years. Um, well, as it relates anyway to, to entrepreneurship, uh, which I guess it doesn't necessarily have to, but um, I would say – you know, going into especially like a hardware type venture, um, I kind of mentioned this in passing before, but two two kind of key things, and they both I guess happen to revolve around money. Um, but <laughs> they, it's make sure you're starting with more money than you think you need, and uh, only put in as much money as you're completely willing to lose, because um, it, it's just in general. Uh, it can really put you in like a tight personal and professional bind when you overcommit to stuff. Um, and when you have co-founders, uh, it makes it that much trickier if that, if that risk quote unquote, isn't spread around. So, you know, it's, it's, a. Uh, it's always going to be a grind, but kind of managing those expectations, but, personally like individually and as a group up front i think is is key um you know i mean aside from that i don't know if i have too much personal advice other than maybe to you know it's it's very easy to um become kind of over committed to work um you know so i can probably point to you know, a hundred different times when I probably should have taken a small step back or taken a breather and just kind of enjoyed life a little bit more uh, during the entrepreneurial journey. Because more often than not, that extra, you know, you know, when it's when it's ten o'clock and you're telling yourself, "Well, I just at ten o'clock at night and you stick around for another couple hours and I'll be finished with this one task." I mean. Just go home and get some rest or go spend some time with friends or family or significant other or whatever it is and just kind of kind of take a breather because, you know, I mean, I like to think of myself as someone who can pretty much take anything <laughs> physically or emotionally just in terms of the in terms of the grind um, that that this whole journey has been. But, you know, it's there is a, there are some sort of practical limits for you to your you know, physical and emotional health. And so just taking, taking a, you know, some time for yourself. And it's, it's not just necessarily like a, 
uh, race till you're dead kind of situation 24 7, 365 days a year for however long you're doing it. So I just kind of reminding yourself to kind of take a take a bit of a breather and um, kind of pace yourself a little bit can can pay off in the long run. Love that. Been there. Understand. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Ryan, man, this has been fun. You know, thanks for uh, thanks for spending the time. Thanks for telling us about uh, what you're up to and, and for the insights. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great, Les. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch. And we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.